This episode is brought to you by The Athlete's Foot. Welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast covering women's sports news. Bez, what have we got around the grounds this week? We are crossing all of the fingers for Sam Kerr. The Female F1 Racing Academy kicks off and WNBA preseason is in full swing. For the key story, we'll discuss netball's potential inclusion in the 2032 Brisbane Olympics. My name is Chloe Dalton. Every week on the show, I'm joined by my co-host, Bez. Bez, how are you? I'm cold. It's cold. Oh, my hands are freezing. Winter is here. And I had to turn off our heater because it makes too much noise during the podcast and I'm sad about it. Like you were under the bright lights. Let's take a look around the grounds. In cricket, the ICC release of viewing numbers for the 2023 Women's T20 World Cup over the weekend, and the numbers are so good. Mind-blowing. We love stats here at TFAP. And there's some hot ones coming your way. Hot. The tournament was the most watched ICC women's event to date, with global viewing hours for the event reaching 192 million, a 44% increase from the 2020 World Cup in Australia, highlighting the continued and growing appetite for women's cricket. Some, we're just going to give you some good numbers to chomp on. Get this, India. Host nation South Africa experienced a a 130% increase in live coverage while fan viewership for the event rocketed 790%. So amazing. I feel like South Africa, even it seems to be a very sporting nation. They haven't been quick to kind of embrace the team sports from what I've seen, especially their women's rugby team. He's been in and out of the World 7 Series and things like that. So I think having a tournament like that at home will do amazing things for South African cricket. And I think the proof that it is worth the investment, right? Yeah, and they made the semis, I want to say. Yeah. No, final? Did we Didn't play them play in the final? In the final in the home, they were the home team in the final. Yeah, I see. <laughs> it's, it's definitely not the right language. <laughs> India's group stage win against Pakistan gained a combined 32.8 million live viewing hours across the Star Sports Network and Disney Plus Hotstar. What's that one? Is that in India? Must be. Total live viewing hours in the UK reached 6.9 million, up 26%, and it was the most watched ICC T20 Women's World Cup in the country. And the ICC's digital channels saw video views increase 26% to 1.39 billion. Bah. Billion. Billion, just confirming it to be. The finally the Instagram content series aimed at a younger and broader audience in India gained more than three hundred and forty four million video views. I love that. I love seeing those numbers for those kind of as we speak about non traditional forms of media Mm -hmm. attracting and they do attract that younger and broader audience. Because we're fluid fans, fans of women's sport. We're fluid fans. We can't get our access to information and coverage where you typically get it. So we've got to be fluid. We have to find it ourselves and we have to rely on our athletes to create it. It's correct. ICC Chief Executive Jeff Alderdice said the ICC Women's T20 World Cup 2023 broadcast and digital numbers are another example of the excellent progress that is being made to accelerate the growth of women's cricket. As a strategic priority for the sport, we are working hard to engage fans and new audiences with our ICC Women's events. For what was a game-changing event for women's cricket in South Africa, with some exciting and competitive cricket, there was also increased engagement numbers in other key markets in India and the UK, which is very pleasing to see. The approach to digital innovation for ICC women's events has also seen an uplift in fans' engagement with the World Cup and our focus is to continue to provide audiences engaging content throughout the year to fulfil that growing demand. Well done, cricket. Well done. In some football news, 
Oof. It's Monday. Stressful. I'm woke stressed. Up, woke up this morning to some concerning images of Sam Kerr on her back with her foot in the air. Hopefully looking for some good news coming out of Chelsea camp in the next few days, though. Sam Kerr was subbed off after only 32 minutes in Chelsea's 7-0 demolition of Everton. Thanks for coming, the Toffees, on Sunday. Kerr scored with a powerful header, but shortly after seemed to be struggling with, I thought it was an ankle issue. They were mm. definitely looking at an ankle. Um, following treatment on the field, she was able to walk off the pitch and was replaced by Peniel Harder. Chelsea coach Emma Hayes did have some comforting words for Matilda's fans in a post-match presser, saying, Sam was sick last night. She decided to play, but her calf was cramping up, so we decided to take her out. She was sick from carrying the weight of the nation on her shoulders. Is it a calf injury due to flag weight? We're going to have some real words for the new king. What's his name? Charles. King Charles. What's his name? Old what's his nuts. If, King if she's had an injury due to carrying the flag, I'll be very mad, Charles. Because she has to come home to Australia and carry the nation on her back in a That's World exactly Cup. exactly right. She's got no time for your flag, Chief. <laughs> so passive aggressive. <laughs> Chelsea's victory at home keeps the pressure on league leaders at Manchester United, who are four points ahead of the Blues, but have pl- have played two games more. Plued. Plued. <laughs> Chelsea and United will be playing this weekend in the FA Cup final, which is the knockout comp. And obviously, rich history, the FA Cup final in England. It, they've only just gone and sold out Wembley Stadium. How cool is it? 90,000 people jamming first in there. First time ever. It's the best. Just one story after another. I, you know, we kind of, I know we talk about this a lot, and I guess sometimes it does, it never feels old, but we've been doing the research now for a couple of years. And I like how you said we. You help Sometimes. from time to time. These kind of stories are now becoming more and more the norm. It, it feels like there's one every week. Yeah. It's so cool. So here for it. In basketball, preseason for the WNBA teams is in full swing and an absolutely crazy story came out of the Las Vegas Aces camp last week. Candace Parker, who I'm so impressed that she's still going. I feel like she's just because I I remember watching her when I was quite young. Mm. So it's quite incredible still that she's still a bit going. Of ball yourself. Yeah, back in the day. Yeah, I wanted to be like Candace. She's arguably one of the greatest basketballers of all time. She was pick one in the 2008 WNBA draft. She's won two WNBA championships, two WNBA MVP awards. I feel like the letters in my mouth are all just combining together. WNBA. <laughs> and seven WNBA All-Star and two Olympic gold medals. She recently spoke on the Draymond Green show. So Draymond is an NBA player who's somewhat controversial but hosts a good podcast. Mm. Not a fan. I was like, are you agreeing or disagreeing? No, I don't, don't love him. I don't think a lot of people love Draymond. 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 She's been dis- – sorry, very sidetracked. Candace went on his podcast and discussed life as a WNBA veteran. She's been criticised by some for moving to the WNBA champs, the Las Vegas Aces, but she defended her choice, saying she was warranted to take decisions like that after playing the game for 16 years. She also pointed out how it was frustrating that everyone was targeting her career choices when the game couldn't provide her with basic amenities. Parker said, I have not had a locker in my entire career. I've been in the WNBA for 16 years and I have not had a locker where it has my name on it and I can leave my shit and then come back and know my shit going to be there. Love that. So good. Like frightening, but I love her for calling it out too. Absolutely. She also said, I fought so hard to bring the 
WNBA along that I've never had a practice facility where I can just go and get shots up at night. I just wanted to touch on that, Bez, Parker having to defend herself about the fact that she's moved teams. And we actually see a bit of that, particularly around AFLW and NRLW when it comes to sign and trade periods, when some of the big name players move clubs. And I think while women's sport is still in its growth phase where we don't have professionalism of the women's game here in Australia. And even if you look at some of the WNBA salaries, Candace Parker would be on good money, but compared to something like the NBA would be pretty measly. I don't think you can hold it against someone and push this loyalty card if people are trying to set themselves up to make a living. Absolutely not. And in the WNBA is a perfect example there. Their cap is, I think, about what it's not even what um, Steph Curry earns pretty much. Is that what it is? Oh, it's just I'm making that up, but it's, you know, it's it's similar to that. The reality is for, for someone like Candace Parker, she is like 16 years in. She's coming to the end of her career. If the Las Vegas Aces have come to her and said, hey, come come spend your, your twilight years with us, we'll look after you, we'll pay you good money. I'm sure there's some awesome third-party deals involved in, the, in that kind of space for her. I just, yeah, it's rich criticising someone trying to make any, make a living. I totally agree. So um, looks like 2023 salary cap for the WNBA is 1.4 mil and the player max is about 200K. Wow, not even, that's like what those boys earn in a week. Honestly, and if you think about someone of Candace Parker's calibre playing for 16 years and, and that's the max, it's pretty disappointing. She can choose wherever she bloody wants to, ch- to play just quietly. Oh, I agree. The Las Vegas Aces, we were, we've been chatting a fair bit about this locker. They rectified it for Parker in a in a pretty big way. Uh, her number three jersey was hanging proudly in a new locker with her name on it. The Aces are the first team to have a facility that was built solely to house a WNBA team. The Aces unveiled the facility last week and it boasts a training facility, hot and cold plunge pools, hydro works, whatever that is, infrared sauna, cryo chamber, nutrition bar, and a film room. The film room looks sick. Go on our Instagram at the Female Athlete Project. I'm concerned about the white couches though. And also just nine eyes in that dark room after a session. Absolutely. There'd be a lot of naps. Chloe, are you awake? Yes. Yes, I'm awake. (laughs) Yes, Yes, I'm here. I'm ready for training. (laughs) So the dedicated facility means that Parker will now be able to work on her, her game and her body whenever she wants and this has to become the norm for a competition of the WNBA standing. In netball, the Melbourne Vixens remain unbeaten at home after securing a one-point win in the grand final rematch on the weekend. The Vixens defeated the West Coast Fever 74-73 after a strong fourth quarter and a two-point super shot on the siren from Kira Austin. It was a seriously clutch shot from Austin and handed co-captain Kate Maloney a 150th super netball appearance to remember. The victory sees the Vixens consolidate a top a spot in the top four and snap a run of a three straight losses to the West Coast team, which included last year's grand final. Maloney said after the match, this competition is so close and every game counts so much. The fever of the benchmark of this comp and we knew we were going to have to bring it today. I'm just so proud of the fight in every single one of these girls. The Adelaide Thunderbirds now sit on top of the ladder after a 54-50 win over the Giants. The Giants, the, Giants. the Giants staged an epic comeback attempt in the final few minutes, but the Thunderbirds hung on to seal the win. Adelaide built a sizable eight-goal lead in the second quarter, but errors in the third quarter let the Giants back into the game. I love this. Thunderbirds coach Tanya Obst called a timeout in the third quarter after a 5-0 run by the Giants and shared some strong words with her team. She told them, 
We look like we don't even want to be out there. We're actually winning this game, so look like winners get involved. Get involved. I'm here for that. Sometimes I you just that. need it. Yeah. The spray from the coach had the desired effect in the fourth quarter as they outscored their opponents 14-9 to take home the win. This episode is brought to you by The Athlete's Foot, proudly supporting women in sport since 1976. Start every game on the right foot with the right fit. Get fitted in store today or online at theathletesfoot.com for netball, football, running, and recovery. Now that's fit. In motorsport, this is exciting. We don't cover a huge amount of motorsport, um, but the all-female F1 Academy started on the last weekend of April and round two was raced over the weekend in Valencia. But unfortunately, no one has been able to watch the races unless they are at the track. So let me ask you, Chloe, if a tree falls in the woods and there's no one around to hear it, does it does it make a sound? It's a very good analogy for this scenario, isn't mm. it? The organisers have stated... Yeah, it does. <laughs> you just set that up for yourself. I did. <laughs> or if, an F, if, a, if a female F1 driver races around a track and no one's around to see it, does it happen? Yes. Okay, continue. <laughs> The organisers have stated that the F1 Academy Series, which consists of seven rounds and 21 races, aims to raise the profile of female drivers and inspire the next generation of women to pursue their dreams in motorsport. But the decision not to broadcast the races live has been met with heavy criticism, especially given the Academy's aim to raise the profile of the drivers and inspire the next gen. It's pretty difficult to inspire anyone if they are trees falling in the forest. With no one around to hear it. Mm. Instead of live coverage, the F1 Academy will release a 15-minute round-by-round highlights program to rights-holding broadcasters the Wednesday following a race weekend, which will also be available on F1-controlled channels. So they're there and they're filming it all for the purpose of making a highlights package and then taking the time to create the highlights package. You could just you could just stream it live on an online platform, could you not? 100%. It absolutely should be on a YouTube channel of the F1s. Yeah, totally. So speaking at the Black Book Motorsport Forum at the end of April, Formula One's head of digital technology, James Bradshaw, revealed that the delivery of the live races is quite challenging and currently there are no plans in place for live streaming. Bradshaw said that due to the locations and not being consistent with the F1 and Academy races, was that was the reason. So obviously because they weren't at the same place. Mm. They couldn't entity as huge as Formula One. Pretty big, pretty rich entity, I'd say. Pretty serious coin. Definitely cannot provide two media, separate media teams. Madness. Uh, so, yeah, he said it was due to locations not being consistent and he said, so that actually has made the concept of streaming quite challenging on the basis that we don't have the same infrastructure that we have at the circuit and able to bring that back. But we are doing innovative work to bring the content that's being produced at a mixture of locations, either off-site or at the circuit, and bring that content back and we'll be providing highlights packages and other shoulder programming of F1 Academy. It sounded like a lot of words. And uh, even reading it, it didn't make any sense to me. I thought that was it just, was just yeah. a pretty lame excuse. So it has been reported that F1 Academy aimed to live broadcast the season finale, which will, will be held at the Circuit of the Americas as a supporting race to the F1 Grand Prix. And it has been said that next season there will be more Academy races on the support bill for a select number of F1 Grand Prix, which will remove the need for multiple media teams. The Academy costs drivers to participate with the requirements currently sitting at €155,000 for each driver. 
Formula One then matches that amount. Finding support from sponsors to allow drivers to compete is challenging when the sport is not easily accessed and not shown live. It's and we've discussed this a lot, like how do they go out and try and get sponsors if the sponsors don't have the guaranteed deliverables of broadcast coverage? And that's what they're looking for. They're looking for a return on investment. Yeah. And if they're not in the public eye, how are they getting that return on investment? It ends up being a donation. It's a goodwill. It's a goodwill investment on a future concept that has amazing potential, but right now is being treated poorly. And we've moved on from goodwill investments in women's sport. Absolutely. In rugby union, Vigiana Drua have won back-to-back Super W titles. On Saturday in Townsville, the Drua defeated the Queensland Reds 38-30 to and completed really what was an amazing reversal of form. They, the Fijian team lost three matches in the regular season and seemingly limped into the finals in fourth place. And there was a lot of noise around unpaid bills, no food, and just a real general lack of support from the FRU towards the team. The final series, though, were a completely different story. Um, touched on the comeback win over the Waratahs. They got us 20 to 17 to dump us out of the finals. And that was the first time that Waratahs were not in the grand final in the competition's history. And there were many saying, probably including me, that they may have played their grand final a week early. I thought the Reds would get them, to be honest. Mm. Um, but I was wrong. They were super impressive again on Saturday night. They just play a brand of rugby that is so hard to defend against. It's so unpredictable. It's so hard to prepare for. They're strong. They're fast. They move the footy. It's just great. And I think when you guys met them earlier in the season, they probably lacked the execution of the brand of footy that they wanted to play. But when it starts to come together, as you said, it's so hard to defend. So hard. The Queensland Reds team were pretty devastated at full time with the loss marking another year of heartache for the club who are now zero wins from five Super W Grand Finals. Fijiana Drua captain Batilla Tawaki said after the match, before we went into this week, we talked about creating your own history. We had a bunch of new girls this year and we told them if you want to win, you have to create your own history. And they did it today. It's like winning the World Cup to us back at home. It means so much to us that we can do something big. It's quite cool. Really cool. Yeah. And look, I think after they won last year in their first year in the tournament, there was obviously they beat us. We were pretty down. I reflected on it and thought this is really good for the, the sport in the country. Hasn't really panned out that way this year. Mm-hmm. The support's been probably lacking. So I just hope that, you know, despite how they were treated this year, they've still gone and performed and got the job done. Really need the FIU to get behind them because they are such talented athletes. Um, the tension now shifts to the international stage. So the Wallaroos and Fijiana will play each other on Saturday the 20th of May at Allianz Stadium in Sydney. So if you're in Sydney, get some tickets. It's going to be a cracker. How good. It's the start of a really big year for the Aussie squad, which will see them play eight test matches across Canada and New Zealand and at home. We love them getting the opportunity to play that many test matches. Also, there's going to be some real tension in that game between the Wallaroos and Fijiana because a lot of the players, I imagine, from the Endured Super W team will be representing their country. And if you think about both New South Wales Waratahs and the Queensland Reds, there's going to be some some players out seeking a bit of redemption, I'd say. Yeah, get to it. It'll be a cracker. Let's take a look at the key story. In netball, when Brisbane won the rights to host the 2032 Olympics and Paralympics, the chat in netball circles immediately took off. Could this be the chance they were seeking to be added to the Olympic Games? Could it be? Sure. I felt like I was on like a sitcom then with like the laughing crowd. (laughs) 
sometimes I feel like we need the laughing crowd because we think we're funny, <laughs> unsure about the crowd. <laughs> Shortly after the announcement, World Netball and Netball Australia launched a joint campaign in the hope of pushing their case for inclusion. And although the sport is huge in Australia, the challenge is converting other nations to the netball family. The game doesn't have a great history with the IOC, taking 20 years of lobbying and three failed attempts in 1967, 1983 and 1987 before netball was recognised by the IOC as an official sport in 1995. Once recognised, the request for the game to be included in the Olympics has been knocked back four times. It's it's pretty impressive for these people campaigning. Like that's a lot of work to just keep getting knocked back. Persistence. Mm. The main issues that the game faces is the perception that netball is only played by a few countries and is predominantly a female sport. I got in a bit of trouble on Twitter because I went on Sports Sunday on Channel Nine and talked about it being for women, which. Predominantly it is, but I would like to acknowledge that there are a lot of men who also play netball. Correct. There are two avenues for netball to be included in the Olympics. The first is through an application from World Netball that would need to be submitted before the IOC session in 2025. So that's only two years away and obviously a solid eight years before the Olympics. The request would be voted upon and netball would require a two-thirds majority vote from the IOC delegate for its application to be successful. If you think about the countries those delegates are from, are you saying delicates? Del- <laughs> I'm a bit delicate today, but they are delegates. <laughs> delegates. Delegates. <laughs> Just in case you weren't sure. Oh, it's an English lesson every day with us. Yeah, if you think about where those delegates are from. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, I feel like it'll be a push. Do you, th- do you agree to get two-thirds of them? I've forgotten what we're talking about. Two-thirds of, of the- delegates. Delicates. The delicates. Yeah, particularly, yes, the sporting nations. I think that's the hardest part of it. And the Americas, Asia, Europe. Whereas Australia, we're like, oh, yeah, we want another shot at a gold medal. It's a very Commonwealth-based sport. Absolutely. The second avenue is via the Brisbane 2032 Organising Committee who can make a request for the sport to be included as one of the local sports for 2032. So that's, I think for Tokyo, it was skateboarding and baseball and softball. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, is Paris breakdancing? Yes, I think so. So weird. Power to the breakdancers out there. So that, that request needs to be done no later than three years out from the game. So they've got a little bit more time to get that proposal together. And also to get, I think, the time probably allows for the men's side of the sport to be de- developed further, I would imagine. If you had to say in two years' time, here you go, IOC, and if they started looking at numbers and things like that, they might question it. Whereas if they really put some effort in in eight years time and you know the numbers will increase Mm. again investment the other hurdles though in that process is there are other sports that are heavily played in australia that will also want to be considered like cricket squash rugby league there's a lot that will be throwing their hat in the ring so Mm -hmm. it's not a foregone conclusion that netball will have that avenue to themselves Mm -hmm. Um, the, and also the local sports inclusion doesn't guarantee a permanent spot moving forward, as we saw happen to – we've seen that happen to softball and baseball, which has not been approved for Paris 2024 despite being a part of Tokyo 2020. The IOC will lean on the Olympic agenda, which was launched in 2020, and listed new quotas that cap the Games at 10,500 athletes and strive for an overall 50% female participation rate. Given netball is a team sport, there's concerns that its inclusion alongside other new team sports will place pressure on the athlete cap. And in relation to the gender split, Netball Australia has been working hard in the men's space 
with a number of men's tests staged as doubleheaders alongside the women's matches at both the Trans-Tasman Constellation Cup and England Roses series held in October and November. Australian men's captain Dylan Nexit believes the games are a real possibility and su- suggests that the game may have to be flexible when it came to deciding on a format for the sport. He told the ABC, I definitely think it's possible. It just depends on what format they look at. There's lots of rumours around that it could be a mixed fast five event, so how it looks we're not sure. You think about skateboarding and all these progressive sports that are coming into the Olympics and wonder if the traditional approach is even what they're looking for anymore. Yeah, interesting from Dylan. I think he's saying there is a lot of, like you said, breakdancing, skateboarding, things like that. So maybe a mixed fast five event would be appealing to the the masses. Yeah, because I think those sports in Tokyo and Paris have been to kind of get the young kids on board with the Olympic movement to make sure that it continues through. So we'll see what happens. Watch this space, people. Let's take a look at what to watch. The Sevens World Series is back with the Aussies jetting over to France to play in the seventh and final stop of the season in Toulouse. Games kick off on Friday and you can watch them all live on Be In Sports via Foxtel. The sold-out FA Cup final between Chelsea and Manchester United will be a cracker. The match kicks off at 11.30pm on Sunday night and will be live on Optus Sport Go Chelsea. Our Suncorp Super Netball match of the round is first placed Adelaide Thunderbirds hosting the Queensland Firebirds at Netball SA Stadium. Oh, it's a bird off. <laughs> All right, David Attenborough. <laughs> the match starts at 5pm AEST and you can catch it all live on Foxtel and KO. Also, is there even such a thing as a Thunderbird and or a Firebird? I think they're both mythical creatures. Right. That's, that's the, the rat. That's the rat. <laughs> Someone put an end to this. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>